If you've been reading through the Eat This Book Project, which I hope you have, you are in Luke someplace. I think I'm a little bit, little bit farther down the road right now. But uh, today what we're doing is we're going to close down our Jesus sub-series. And uh, keep reading if you're in the Gospels, keep going. But we're going to close that section down today. Next week we've got kind of a transition between the Jesus sub-series and the, the church sub-series. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's going to be kind of special. But what we want to focus on this morning is the very last conversation recorded for us in Scripture of, of Jesus. The very last things he said. And so let me give you a little, uh, let me build up to that here. Give you a little parable. Once upon a time, there was a bus. Now, now the, the bus was filled with people, not perfect people, um, but good people. And they weren't all the same, but they recognized they were all kind of going the same way in this bus. And so they had to kind of make it work. And so they did. Uh, over time, different committees would be formed on the bus. Committees that would determine, do we need new carpeting? Do we need new seats? Do we need a new sound system in the bus? Those kind of things. And the, the, the journey that this bus was on was like a perpetual journey. It like never ended. It just continued on. People would, would, would die on the bus. New people would be born on the bus. The bus would just, population kept turning over on the bus. Now, one of the things with, with this bus is they would have discussions on occasion, uh, what kind of music they should put through the sound system of the bus, what kind of activities they should do on the bus. Should they do, you know, bus bingo or bus karaoke? You know, who could participate in that? There would be study groups and focus groups and, and trying to ascertain those things. And the bus just kept going. The wheels on the bus went round and round and round. Now, on a time, the, the programs, of, you can imagine, would uh, be a subject of debate. On time, as time would go, the bus would break down and they'd get a flat tire and they would have to uh, maybe pull their money to put in a new transmission into the thing. And, and, but, but, but still, don't worry because the bus got back on the road, and it just kept going, and the wheels kept rolling. Now, uh, new people once in a while would get on the bus, and every once in a while folk would get off and exchange get on a different bus, and some people decided they had been taken for a ride long enough. They got off all the bus all together. On occasion, they would even exchange drivers for the bus, uh, but it just kept on rolling. No issues. It was a really a nice bus. It was immaculate. It was well cleaned and maintained, uh, well administered. The staff on the bus was usually friendly and, and well equipped. It was the kind of bus you could be proud of. People liked being on their bus. One day, a, a stranger, visitor person got on the bus and said, well, this is a great bus. And the people nodded and said, absolutely, it's a great bus. We're proud of our bus. It's a good bus. He said, but I, I've got a question for y'all. Where are you going? And they kind of looked at him. Some said north and some said south. Some east, west. They had no clue where they were going. That question never been posed before. Uh, as a matter of fact, the driver had no clue where they were going. And the problem is it didn't seem to bother anybody. It was just going to be a nice ride. Now, uh, it's been said that the church is like the bus. Good questions we need to ask. What kind of music are we pumping through our sound system? Is the driver capable? Are the seats comfortable enough? Should we pick up hitchhikers? You know, good questions we should ask. But probably, right, the greatest question we need to ask is, yeah, but where are we going? 
Because, you know, if you don't know where you're going, right, any road works. Right? You come to an intersection and you, you don't know where you're going. It doesn't really matter. You look to the right and there's orange barrels and there's construction and there's traffic. And, and then you look to the right and it's smooth and there's nice landscape, not a lot of people. Let's go this way. If you don't know where you're going and it really doesn't matter, then every intersection you come to, all of your decisions will be made based on what? What's most convenient, what's most comfortable, what's most frugal, what's most, uh, what do I like best? That's how you will make your decisions if you don't know. But if you know where you're going, right? I remember coming out of Cleveland, it seems like there's always got construction on 90. Since I've been here now, construction on 90, right outside Cleveland, it's always there. At different play times, it was worse. And I remember coming back to Erie, we would go to Cleveland on occasion because they have two wonderful things there. They, they've got the, the Cleveland Clinic, of course, but then they've also got Costco, which is a nice thing in, in, in Cleveland. <laughs> so we would be coming home and, of course, dealing with the barrels and the, the, uh, everything else. I can't say I ever remember one time anyone in my family ever saying, Dad, I don't like this road. This is a terrible road. Let's turn around and go the other direction. If you know where you're going, you don't even think that. You've got to go this way because it gets you to where you want to be. So here's the question. Where does Jesus want this bus to go? That's a pretty good question, don't you think? Some people have called that you know, vision. Uh, but it's an incredibly important question, one that I think he answers for us this morning. Because here's the long and short of it. This is uh, not my church. Right? Church was here before I got here. I'll be here when I'm gone, unless the Lord returns. It's not your church. Same thing. It's not, the church doesn't belong to the biggest donor or the hardest workers or the most passionate prayer warriors. The church doesn't belong to the, the children or the, the seniors or the missions committee or the denomination. This is Jesus' church, right? He, we're, we're not, we're, we're the church, which is unique. We are not a club. We're not a kinder care or a Chuck E. Cheese or retirement home or the Rotary Club or, or YMCA. We are his church. He died for his church. He, he rose to secure its future. Uh, every individual who is part of his church, he fills with himself. The question is, is not what is my preferences or what do I like or what's comfortable to me or what's my tradition. It is which way does Jesus want us to go? Isn't that this is his place? Which way does he want us to go? Very, very important question. Because one day when it's all done, we will stand before him. They'll say, I told you which way to go. How did you do? It's real important that we, we, we know what, what that is. And so we want to, to look this morning at a couple of conversations Christ had. We're going to start with his last conversation he ever had here on earth and come up with that, that answer. And once we find it, would you, would you agree with me? Once we know what his mission is for the church, this direction, we got to commit to that unswervingly, right? I and mean, we got to guard that. We have to budget for that. We have to staff for that. We have to give everything we have to that. I mean, if he said, go there, I'll be back soon to check on you, then by golly, we got to go there. And if the way there is bumpy roads and construction, well, oh, well, that's where we're going, right? Uh, we need to die for it if, if need be, because that's what he's asked us to do. This is his mission. We can't decide we're going to take a detour. 
Does, doesn't work. So Matthew 28, 19 and 20, some of very famous verses in Scripture. Last conversation of Jesus. And while you're turning there, I want to read something for you. Don't have it on the screen, so, so listen up. This is Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. It's those instructions that we're looking after, right? Um, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, remember last week Jesus rose from the dead, we, we talked about that. Well, then what? Well, then he was around for 40 days on this earth. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he showed himself to over 500 people. That Paul will say, that at the time of his writing, he said most of them are still alive. You don't believe this? Go check with them. Says that, so, so when they met together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking this was a Jewish kingdom. It's a Jewish kingdom. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So they're happy with that. Good. And in all Judea. Mostly Jews, not completely. And in Samaria. Not a lot. Mostly half Jewish people in Samaria. And... To the ends of the earth. It's the Gentiles. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is kind of like a rebuke. Jesus said he was going away, but he'd come back, right? But maybe just a few minutes. So they're kind of waiting for him. So they're waiting for him. You know, okay, good. He's going to come back any second. And all of a sudden, the angels come up. And basically, they're saying, what are you doing with your head in the clouds? What are you doing being passive, waiting for him to return? There's work to be done. Didn't he just say, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the whole world? Did you do that already? No. Let's get moving. That's kind of the, the, the thought here. Now, exactly what he said else, we find at least part of it in Matthew chapter 28. That's that conversation that Jesus has with these guys. Last conversation. Last words. So he gets this uh, uh, disciples together. Verse 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is called the, the Great Commission. Kind of famous verses. Because they're Jesus' last words. They're his last challenge. If you check out the text, you notice that there's really one command. And it's, 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 it's the, 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 the verb is, is make disciples. Three participles. Going, baptizing, teaching. But one verbal imperative. Make disciples. And so the command is this. Make disciples. Not have meetings. Not be busy. Not have lots of programming. Not make sure all your budgets are in line. All that's important. But that's secondary to make 
Disciples, more disciples, right? You know, everyone wants more. Jesus wants more disciples. Make disciples. That's, that's the, the deal. That's what Jesus says. Um, disciple, uh, just so you know, is Jesus' favorite word for his followers. It's not Christians. It's not believers. It's disciple. Disciple literally means to follow. And this is how it worked back then. Most of the, the folk, uh, Jerusalem, would find a, a, a rabbi. There's a handful of rabbis, tons of rabbis actually. And, and uh, you found one that you liked. And there are variations on the same thing. They all kind of believe the same thing, but there are nuances and twists. And so you found one that you liked, you connected with, and you would claim allegiance to this rabbi, and you would literally follow him around, and he would teach, and you would take his teachings, and you would try to understand life through his eyes. And A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, right? Someone of whom all the worldviews and all the understandings of reality and all of life and, and all the agendas out there. A disciple is one who said, Jesus' agenda. Jesus' worldview. Who Jesus is. And of course, it would be his, entering into the realm of discipleship is that realizing that he died and, and rose of for us. And so that's why the first thing he mentions, baptizing, baptizing. I grew up in a church that did not emphasize baptism. I think they were afraid that baptism would be seen as a work, and so they just didn't emphasize it. If you grew up in the Church of Christ, Christian Church, Southern Baptist Church, you had a good emphasis on, on baptism, but I, I did not. Favorite person seemed like in my church, favorite person in the Bible, New Testament, was the thief on the cross, right? Because the thief on the cross got to heaven without being baptized. And so it was proof, okay, you're not, you don't have to be baptized. Don't worry about that baptism thing. And so you, we all wanted to be like the thief on the cross. There's just something wrong with that, I, I think. But, but you got, in, in the book of Acts, and it's good to get this, understand this, baptism became synonymous with salvation. Now, and follow me real close. I don't want to get a whole lot of letters on this one. Baptism is, is, it's not salvation. You know, as well as I do, you can be baptized and still have your heart far from the Lord. There is no ritual, there is no earthly ritual you can do to suddenly gain favor with God, suddenly become new. There's no magic thing, there's incantation, no hoops you can jump through. Now suddenly you're right. It doesn't exist. Uh, Think through baptism for a second and what Christ did. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying for your sins and mine. Then as proof of the fact that he died for our sins, he was buried. You don't bury live people. The fact that he, was, he truly died was, is, is given because he was buried. Then after three days, right, he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead in such incredible uh, fashion. His body was amazing. If you think about this, his body... Um, could go through locked doors. His body could, could disappear, like with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, just kind of disappear. And yet, he said, touch me. He says, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. He could eat. And his people couldn't really always notice him on the front end because his glorified body was... Uh, uh, amazing. It was the same, and yet it was radically different. And so when you're, when you're baptized... Uh, what you're saying is, 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 is it's a picture of, of what happened with Christ. I, I, I died with Christ. He died for my sins. So in a sense, I died with him. 
buried when you go under the water. And then when you're raised, it's all new, man. Scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new is become. It's all new. All your sins are washed away. It's new. Think of the baptism as kind of like a, a wedding between you and Christ. It's the initiation of entering into this discipleship mode. And so, uh, just let me throw this out. If you are claiming, I'm, I'm following Christ, I'm a disciple, I, I love him, but you've never been baptized... In scripture, there were people who were never baptized followers of Christ. Those are called secret disciples, right? This is the, the Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and there's, there's a handful of them. But other than that, the scripture doesn't know too much about a disciple who was not baptized. If you've never been baptized, think on your tear-off that we're going to put in the offering plate at the end of the service. It says something like, I'm interested in baptism. You need to check that if claiming to be a disciple and you had not been baptized yet. We'll, we'll talk that through more. So baptism. But then there's a second thing. I mean, so, so Jesus is saying, make disciples. And the way you do that is initially take these people who are far from me and introduce them to me. Introduce them to, to, to me as their rabbi that they should follow, that their sins could be forgiven in. Introduce them to me. That's how you, you start. He says, but there's a second thing, right? He says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You've got to love that. Teaching them for the sake of gaining knowledge, acquiring uh, understanding, building your theological vocabulary, uh, developing an ability to win Trivia Pursuit Bible version. That's not the, this is not the goal. Teach them my precepts. Teach them how to obey them. What happens in churches is, is, is churches can kind of lean one of these two ways. There are churches that are heavy decision, baptism type churches. They want to see a lot of people, which we all should want to see, a lot of people come to know Christ, enter into that relationship. They are pushing hard on the baptism thing, pushing real hard, sometimes to the detriment of any kind of follow-up, any kind of teaching to obey. That so much doesn't happen. Sometimes the perspective is, um, well, at least they're in, and that's all that matters. But according to Jesus... We're not looking for converts. He didn't tell us to go make converts. He commanded us to make disciples. So you've got to have both things going. Now, some churches kind of lean on the teaching side, and you need to know that this is a danger of established churches. Um, They've got classes and studies and study guides and and, and manuals and and all kinds of teaching stuff. And often, though... It's not teaching for life transformation. It's not teaching to obey. It's teaching for you know, uh, Bible knowledge acquisition, not Bible na- knowledge application. In a way, you can ask yourself, because if you grew up in the church, like I grew up in the church, million and one Bible studies you've been through, uh, and that's good. But are you more patient today than you've been? More loving? More peaceful? Do you have more joy in your life? Are you more kind Because if you're gaining more knowledge, but you're not gaining more life transformation, Jesus is not advocating that. He he, he says he wants us to know, but so that we might grow. So the the issue is, um, a church that is making disciples, both of those things are happening. They They are seeing people come into a relationship with Christ, and then they are seeing life transformation. It's attention, no question about it. You got the baptizing 
to some people who are upset at these guys sometime and these guys who are upset at the, it's a tension, but you gotta hold them both because that's what makes disciples. Now, so the question, here's the question. What is the mission? What is the mission? That's the question. The question is more disciples, right? Jesus says one thing, more disciples. More, every ministry in the church needs to be judged on this. Are you making more disciples? Not asking, is it fun? Not asking, are a lot of people coming? Not asking, are you under budget? Not asking, is it a well-oiled machine? Are you making more disciples? Because that's what he's going to ask us one day. That's, that's the mission. Second question is this. The question is, who is included? And the answer is all. In um, Luke chapter 4, Jesus, uh, Luke 10, excuse me, Jesus is going to address this again. He came up with this Great Commission thing. It wasn't just at the end of his life over and over. He keeps pushing this. And in Luke chapter 10, he he comes up with this. It says, after the Lord appointed, this is verse 1 of Luke 10, after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, now, why in the world did the Lord pick 72? This is kind of, you need to know, and you know, that the uh, Jewish people were very into numerology, right? They were very into numerology. They... they uh, uh, Matthew, when he does his genealogy for Jesus, he's got 14 generations uh, for, to, to, up to Christ from the beginning. He's got 14 generations in the middle. He's got 14 generations at the end. Um, three times 14 sets. He's got uh, 14 is seven times two. They were really, which is the perfect number, they were really into the, the numerology aspect. Um, 72. There's only one other place in the Bible 72 shows up. That's in Genesis 10. It's called the Table of Nations. In Genesis 10, God is laying out all of the nations in the world at that time. And guess how many there were? 72. And it came to represent all of the nations, Gentile nations, of course, at this time, all of the nations in the world. And so why Jesus picked 72 is he's telling them something. We're going to Israel right now, but you need to know this goes way beyond. This is God sending Jonah to Nineveh. This is this is, includes everybody. There's no there's no neighborhood. There's no race. There's no uh, uh, sexual gender. There's no uh, category of people where he's posted non-fishing sign. This is for everybody. This is the whole world. This is everybody. And look what he says about the harvest. He says the harvest is plentiful, and we think oh. Sure. The harvest is pitiful. There's no one who wants to get saved today, for crying out loud. Our, our, our culture is too secularized. You know, hell's been doing too good of a job. The, the society we live in is too anti-Christian. Nobody is there. All they do is mock it and make fun of it. No one really wants to know Christ. But I can't imagine that Jesus is lying. Can you imagine he's lying? Can you imagine him sending us to a field? He says, actually, there's no one there who wants to get saved. I understand that. But you should go anyways. I don't, I don't. When I was a youth pastor years ago, uh, one of the first years, we had a girl coming. uh, Sweet girl. Lori was her name. uh, Still is her name. Neat neat friend. Uh, She didn't change it. But she um, was just bubbly and sweet and had it all together. And just, just, just one of these... People that you want to be around. You want to be around her because she's so positive. 
But at night, every night, she would, she would, uh, she said she would lay down in her bed, uh, scared to death. She was a religious girl. She had her, her rosary out, and she said every night she kept going over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Because she knew her heart. She knew her sin, and she said, if I, if I die right now, I'm in all kinds of trouble. Very sensitive soul. Well, her brother, her older brother, is going to UW-Madison, and one day someone comes knocking on his door and says, Rick, let me, let me share this with you. It's the Navigators. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're like Campus Crusade. A group of people sat down with him and said, because he's cut out of the same cloth, you don't have to be afraid. All of those things that you're sure God is going to condemn you for, Jesus died for those things. Jesus took the punishment so you don't have to. Well, this is revolutionary for Rick. So he comes home and he gets a hold of his sister, Lori, and says, Lori, you got to check this out. And Lori is ready in major ways. Mike, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Now, I say that to say this. There are people that on the outside look like they've got it all together. We would never think they need anything. Everything is going great for them. But inside, God has been working. Jesus looks and says, oh... The harvest is plentiful. It's not pitiful. And there are people who are ready and waiting. He says, the problem is not that the harvest is, is pitiful. That's not true. The problem is this, that the workers are few. The workers are pitiful. The harvest is plentiful. He says, this is the issue. Excellent verse, Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Check this out. God's talking, he says, I've asked for someone... Uh, for someone, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. God says that the people are in a mess and I looked hard for somebody who would stand between them and myself. They would stand there and they, they, would, they would grab them and they would introduce them to me. I looked for somebody, but I found none. And now there's judgment coming. To stand in the, the gap is it's, 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 it's an urgent, urgent thing. Let's just say you've got an adult daughter. Neat girl. She's got some kids. Uh, but she hasn't been to church in a long time. She's not interested in church. She's been burned by the church in years past. She's just not interested in church. Uh, but you've been asking her to come anyway. And she says the same thing week after week. No, 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 no. But one week you ask her and she says... Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll bring my kids. I'll meet you there. Now, you, after you get up off the floor, you think, this is an incredible thing. She's coming to church. This is fantastic. Well, let's say she shows up. And she shows up and she's got her kids in tow. And there's really no one at the door to, to, to greet her, per se. And she kind of walks in and she's looking. She's never been here. She's not sure where she's supposed to go. And there's... She's kind of looking around. I'm not even sure where to hang my coat and where I'm supposed to go with my kids. And she's kind of just kind of walking through the hallway going, what's, what's next? She tries to ask a couple people and they're grunt. And they're not sure what's going on. And so she keeps going and she sees the kids going up those stairs. And she says, well, I guess I probably should go that way. And she goes up that way with her kids. And she's looking around. People are checking their kids in and they all know what they're doing. She doesn't know how this thing works, though. And she's heard about what happens to children and, and 
religious places. And so she's already kind of nervous about this whole thing anyway. And, and finally she asks two or three people and they point her and she's going around and her kids are starting to cry. And so she gets them to the classroom and she's really not sure and she's kind of really uh, freaking out inside, but she promises them ice cream if they just don't let anyone touch you and just, just hang in there. I'm going to be back in a little bit. And so she, she's, she's kind of an atheist girl, but she's praying on her way here to protect my kids. She comes into the room. Because other people are coming in this room. She figures this is where I'm supposed to go. Someone shoves a bulletin in her face. She's not sure what to do, what this is and what to do. But she comes and she finds an empty place and she sits down and she thinks it's okay to sit here. And then she realizes it's not because some people come in behind her and this was really their seat. They've sitting in it for years. And so they kind of roll their eyes and they, they... And so she's feeling really bad. Well, the music starts and there's a terrible feedback going on and they're not together. And what do the words mean anyway? And this is just... Terrible situation. And then I come up to preach. And I'm going to preach for an hour and a half on 10 reasons you should tithe. And she's going, oh, you know what? She finally gets done. And she goes to try to find her kids. And she goes to pick them up. And obviously they've been bawling the entire time. The baby's not even been changed. And she's, she's saying, you know what? And she's looking for her coat. She forgets where she put it. Forget it. And she's out of here. Are you glad that your daughter came to church that Sunday? Now, reverse this. Let me, what if she came? And there was someone at the door. They were waiting for her because they knew we're going to get new people. So they're waiting for her. When they saw her kind of looking around, someone said, I have you new. Hey, let me show you what's going on. And so they, they take her, show her where she hangs up her coat. They push some folk aside, get her some coffee or some coffee. And they, they say, hey, come on, I'll show you where our kids thing is and show you around. And so they take her up. They're saying, by the way, you need to know your child will never be left alone with an adult. We don't do that kind of thing. All of our adults have been screened multiple times. Uh, it's a very safe place. And you need to know this. If your child is ever uh, struggling, they, they miss you so much, you need to know we will find you. Your child, we will not be separated from you. We're going to make sure. It's our promise. You, you can rest assured. And then they bring her down here. And they find a, a pew for her. And they explain the bulletin thing and what's going to happen. And then they leave. And so she's there and the music comes out. And you know what? It's good. And the, the words on the screen match what they're singing and, and all this kind of stuff. She's still not sure of the words, but the, it sounds great. And then I, I come out and let's pray that I'm not doing a 10 part on why you should tithe. But she's not sure of the Bible per se, but she never thought the Bible would actually be relevant to your life. And so she thinks, Wow. And we get done, and she goes out to get her kids. And you know what? They, were, they had a blast. They didn't want to go home. And they're saying, Mom, can we come back here next week? She says, well, maybe we can. If you had those two scenarios, your daughter that you've been trying to get in, that your heart's been bleeding on, that you've been praying for for years, you had those two scenarios, which one would you choose? Now, let me say this. If you're visiting, just clog your ears for a minute. But every single week, we have visitors. And I realize they may not be your daughter with your grandkids, but they're somebody's. They're, they're somebody that's just as important to Christ as the next person. And he brought them to us. And so there are no, there are no this is so urgent, there are no throwaway Sundays. We can't, well, we're just going to waste this one because we may not get that person back. Now, if they don't decide to come back after that, that's because of the gospel. It's offensive and we can't do anything about that. But let's not have folk leave because we weren't sensitive. What a, what a deal is that? This is so urgent. He's saying this is, this is, this is, this is key. Uh, next question. And this is it. How urgent is it? 
very, very. Again, in Luke 10. He says, do not take, notice that last line. Hang on, he says, the Lord appointed 72, and they sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place. He was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, first you read that, that pink part, and you go, that sounds like it's, it's, it's kind of irresponsible and it's rude actually i shouldn't plan and i shouldn't uh, uh, uh be nice to people well, he's not saying that at all the, the 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 jewish greeting actually took a while it wasn't hi how are you i mean it was a long drawn out sort of thing and jesus is using hyperbole here and this is what he's saying he's saying this mission is so important it's so important please 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 don't Get tied up with the, I'm not ready. Don't get tied up with uh, niceties, greetings, and fellowship time, and smelling the roses, and enjoying life. And don't get so tied up with life that you miss the mission. Don't let, there's going to be lots of roses to smell in, in heaven. But, but don't get so tied up with all of life and get so tied up with the stuff and I'm not ready and, and we'll do it later that it doesn't happen. It's so urgent. Take care of this now. I'm 54 years old, and I, can re- I do remember when I first started really thinking about my mortality. It was 30. I had a, it was a tough, tough birthday for me. But um, now at 54, I recognize I've got more days in my rear view than in my windshield. And I just know, you know, God, I can't waste them for the successful expansion of ecclesiological niceties. You know what I'm saying? We can't just just making sure the bus is okay, making sure that that it's painted well and it's going the right direction and everybody on board is happy. You can't do that. And so you think, we will, as a church, we will do things sometimes that will hopefully for that, your daughter coming in who doesn't know the Lord, it will be make her feel more comfortable. Of course, there'll be those times when we do that, it will make you feel not as comfortable. And if it comes down to making the, the mature believer feel uncomfortable a little bit so we can make this person feel more comfortable, we're going we're gonna to do that. And we have to take risks sometimes. We're going to do some stuff that means, right, if you say okay for risks, that means sometimes you fail. So we're going to do something stupid sometimes. Of course, you don't know it's stupid until you, you retrospect. But we're going to at, at points. Because there's just too much on the line. Jesus is saying this is so incredibly urgent. The mission is, is to more disciples. The who it includes, includes everybody. There's no group that's been off limits to, to fishing. The urgency is it's very urgent. You don't have time to do this later. Do this in a few years. Do this down the road when I retire. Oh, no, 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 no. This is so urgent. Do it now is what he's saying. Well, okay, we're Americans. Here's our key question. What's it going to cost us? What's it cost? And the answer is a lot. A lot. It's going to cost a lot. In Luke 10, he says, And the Lord appointed 72 others. And he says, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's not real encouraging if you're a lamb. Uh, lambs don't do well when they go up against wolves. You know, I don't know if ever there's been a lamb that's won. Uh, lambs among wolves is a, is rough. 
there are wild um, horses, there are wild dogs, there's no wild lambs. Lambs can't handle it. They, 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 are, they are in trouble here. And what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying, um, you need to know the cost on this mission. If you're going to seek mission fulfillment, it could cost me my life. It's going to cost. There's going to be people hurt. There's going to be scars. There's going to be lots of inconvenience. There's going to be bumpy roads. There's going to be some real issues. So I'm just letting you know. You sign up for this mission. You just need to know the cost. Look, what he, this is interesting to me. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on the snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. It's amazing to me when he's talking throughout scripture, we find talk about evangelism. We talk about the mission fulfillment, how often this Satan thing gets thrown in here. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. He says, look at what Paul says here. This is, I love this verse, but this is... And if even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, it's not an issue that they're just being stubborn. It's not an issue that they just are not interested. There's more going on. So he says, when you get into this, this, this harvest field, you just need to know you've never been in an arena like this ever. You are entering into a cosmic battle in the heavenlies. You need to know when you get into the harvest field, when you say, you know what, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm doing that. You just need to know you've put hell on notice. And hell does not like to be put on notice. That you've chosen to go nose to nose with hell itself. And hell does not relinquish its booty without a war. Without, and that's why he says, lamb among wolves. There's going to be a cost. You willing to pay the cost? You willing to all go for mission fulfillment as long as it doesn't, it's not too inconvenient, as long as I've got time, as long as it's not going to take me out? Jesus says, no, this is not for you. It's, it's incredibly urgent. It in, Incorporates everybody, this making disciples. And the cost is, is a lot. It's a lot. You say, okay, well, I, I want to, got it, make disciples. Got it, includes everybody. Nobody off limits. Everybody is, is welcome in that sense. Okay, I got it. It's, it's urgent. I can't wait to do this. It's a now thing. I, okay, and it's going to cost me a lot. So what's the plan? What's the plan? Well, the answer is go. He has it in here. Make disciples, three participles, right? Baptizing, teaching, and going. So you're going to go. Now, going is not a, a, a transference of geographical location. Let's just, let's just say that you, you go back to your high school reunion. You've been gone 30 years now. You go to your high school reunion, and back when you were in high school, mm, you were pretty much a druggie. This was, this was, you were BC days, BC days, and so you partied like an animal, and you, you pulled all stops. If there was a sin, you committed it multiple times in spades. You, you had a blast, as it were, but, but sowed lots of wild oats. But then in time, you came to know Christ, and so you, your whole life was radically changed. You go back to that reunion, and the people there remember you as this party animal. And one guy comes up to you, used to party with you. And it's obvious he's still a bardian, right? 
And he starts talking about all the wonderful times you had. He starts saying, you know what, let's get out of here. And he wants to go do some party stuff. Let's go do it. What do you say? You might say, you know, I'm not there anymore. I've moved. I'm in a different place. Now, are you talking about geographical locations? I'm in a different place? No. There's been a shift inside. There's been a shift inside. When he says go, the most important aspect, it may include a geographical transference, but, but that's, that's secondary. It's more than anything else saying, I want to stand in the gap. It, 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 it's Isaiah 6, great passage. You know, you know the passage. Isaiah is, is prophet, 700 uh, B.C. Uh, he's a prophet, so he's a preacher. He's kinda, but he's hanging with all of these people that were um, good people, but s- sinners at the depth. There's twistedness and perverseness, and it was just... And when you hang with people like that, you're good, but you hang with people who aren't perfect either. You can kind of feel comfortable. But Isaiah finds himself in the presence of a perfect, holy God. No twistedness and no perverseness. And suddenly... He becomes very aware of, of his garbage. And he says, he's looking at God, and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And he thinks, I'm dead. And then God takes away his sin. Uh, cool passage. But then the Lord says this. This is Trinity talking amongst themselves. And he says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? He says, says, there's a lot of people who are just like Isaiah. Their stuff is down, it's twisted, it's bent, it's it's a mess. He's saying, "Who who will go for us? Who will represent me to the people? Who shall I send? And Isaiah, he says, what is normal for a disciple? Here, here, here. Ooh, choose me, you know. Will you send me? Can I, can, I'm not much, but can I go? This morning, I think the Lord looks at, at, at Erie and Mill Creek and Fairview and Girard and Northeast and Harbor Creek and, and Summit and McCain and Edinburgh and Wattsburg and Waterford and Union City and Cambridge Springs. And he sees the people as sheep without a shepherd. And he says, who will go and stand in the gap for me? I mean, who, who, will, who can I send? I looked around, I couldn't find anyone who would go. And this morning, his question to us is, will you go? And so what he's looking for us, what he's looking for his disciples is, yeah, send me. Because he's looking at, at McDowell, and he's looking at the halls of McDowell, and this, in the teachers' lounges of McDowell, and of, of, of Fairview, and, and Fort LaBeouf, and he's looking at the offices at GE, and, and Lords, and of Erie Insurance, and everything in between. And he says, I see people there like sheep without a shepherd. They're in trouble. And I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap and go, who can I send? Let me ask, would you be willing to say, yeah, yeah, me. I know the cost. And I know I'm not going to get any parades in my favor by doing this. The cost is going to be rough. And, and I understand the urgency. It's not something I'm going to do down the road. It's, it's like a now thing. And so I, I don't know exactly how, Lord. But would you use me? Could you, could you use me? I'm, I'm available. You need to know with Isaiah, he volunteered. And you know what? Never left home. 
he walked down the same path that he was at the day before. But there was a change. He was now, he had the go thing going on in his heart. On the other hand, you say, Lord, I, I want to go. There's no strings attached with that one, right? And so it's, Lord, if you want me to go to the other side of the world. I'm young. I've got my career started. I've got my family going. I'm, I'm retired, but irrelevant. If you want me to go, I want to go. Yeah, would you use me? Have you ever prayed that? I know we've prayed to ask the Lord in our heart and go to heaven, but have you ever helped me with my stuff? That's good, but have you ever prayed that? Can you use me? Would you send me? And so our challenge this morning, especially this is great as we get into the series on, on the church and what the church is supposed to be, who we're supposed to be, is for you to pray that. Now, you need to know, uh, corporately, board is real serious about this. There's been a, a team kind of researching different strategic planners that we can we check with different churches that have hired them to come in and make sure we're on the right path. And, and there's just too much on the line to let us be diverted, so we're going down that road. But individually, are we going? Would you take a moment to pray with me?